the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch, and we're glad you are joining us tonight. The difficult times we live in begs the question, where is God during our most challenging times? We believe the more the world becomes chaotic, the more we need to draw closer to God and learn to trust in Him. The Bible is our source for all things that sustain us as Christians. Philippians 4.7 tells us that we can have the kind of peace that transcends all understanding, even when the world seems to be completely out of control. Over the next 30 minutes, Pastor Dudley Rutherford is going to share a message meant for everyone listening right now. We know it is no accident you are with us tonight, for God orchestrates all things perfectly. So let's join Pastor Dudley right now with tonight's message. I've entitled this series, if you look at the cover of your bulletin, Trophies of Grace. And what that means is you are a shining example and a result of the grace of Almighty God. When somebody looks at you, when someone views your life, when someone hears of your testimony, they are reminded of the grace of Almighty God. You are a picture of God's mercy, God's love, God's grace. When an Olympic athlete holds up a gold medal, that gold medal is the fruit of their labor. It just, it symbolizes all that they've been through. And you are the fruit of God's unmeasurable love. You are the fruit, the result of God's amazing grace. So I want to give you a little bit of background to this book today. That's all we're going to do is look at background. First of all, write this down. It was written in 61, 62 AD. For those of you that know math, that's approximately 30 years, three decades after the resurrection. It was obviously written to Christians who lived in Ephesus. Ephesus is on the western edge of what today is modern-day Turkey. Now, if you had walked through Ephesus in 61, 62 AD, write this down, you would be walking through the fourth largest city in in the ancient world at that time. This was not a hick town, all right? A hick town, this is my definition, a hick town is when there's more dogs roaming the streets than there are people living in the houses. I used to preach in a hick town, Kellyville, Oklahoma. We had 300 people in the whole town, but we had 400 dogs roaming the streets. That's a hick town. 
Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the world at that time. And to put that in perspective, today, the largest city in the world today, you know what the largest city in the world is today? It's Tokyo. 32 million people. We are in Los Angeles, we, don't, we only have a measly 12 million. That's all we got is 12 million. And we are the uh, 14th largest city in the world. There are 13 cities larger. You th- think of how big this city is. There's 13 cities larger than this city. But if you had walked in Ephesus, you would have been in the fourth largest city. There are two main uh, It was known for two big buildings they had. They had meant more than these two, but the two famous, one, write this down, is the Temple of Diana, or what's called the Temple of Artemis. It was a false god, false religion. That that was what this town was known for. And then it had a theater uh, that sat or seated 25,000 people. Perspective, we have 1,500 seats in here, all right? Their theater had seats for 25,000 people. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was the size of a football field. It had 127 60-foot-tall marble statues or pillars. And some people believe it was the largest uh, facility in the world at that time in 61-62. And when we go over there, we actually take, we go inside there because Paul preached inside that theater. It's still here today. That temple is gone, but that theater is still here. It also had a mall, a thing called the Agora, and this is the length of a football field. They had two streets, and each street was the length of a football field with stores and shops on both sides. And like any major city, not everything is beautiful. They had pickpockets and binge drinking and vices of prostitution and immorality. There was sin on every corner. Just think of Las Vegas. And we have a letter that was written to Christians who lived in that city. Number one, write this down, is the author. Paul wrote this book according to the very first word of the first sentence, the first line, it says Paul. Everybody say Paul. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, when we write letters, we put who signs it at the very bottom. We write, dear so-and-so, and we write letters. I've got letters that are six, seven, eight pages long, and I got to go, I got to turn all these pages to see who wrote the letter. Well, they were a lot smarter than us back in those days. They start off by telling you who wrote this letter. Paul, the apostle, wrote this letter. Write this down, number one. He was formerly a persecutor of the church. Originally, he did not like the church. He was against the church. He hated the church. He actually had some people killed. He was the first ever ISIS, first person really to be killing Christians. And you find this in Acts 8, verse 3, His name originally was Saul, before it was Paul, it's the same guy. Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and threw them into prison. He would come into your town and on your street, and he would knock on your door to see if you were a Christian. He was a persecutor of the church. 
He then, write this down, he becomes a preacher. Oh, it's an amazing story. You have this guy who's out to destroy the church, and he gets saved, and now he becomes the greatest promoter of the church, and he starts to preach. He was called in Acts chapter 9, that verse reads, the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the who? Before the Gentiles. I, you know, I tell my Jewish friends, and they, they have a hard time. They go, I can't go to your church. I'm Jewish. Hey, this whole thing is for you. The Bible is for you. Jesus is for you. The church, it's all for you. Uh, we, the Gentiles, God just let us in on what was originally for you. And Paul, Saul, who got converted, changed his name to Paul, he's the one that God selected to begin to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to their kings, and of course, uh, to the people of Israel as well. He goes on three missionary journeys. And on his third missionary journey, he comes to Ephesus. This is about 51, 52 A.D., and he starts to preach, and he's preaching the gospel, and he preaches inside that big theater. He preaches to people that are going to that temple of Diana, and guess what happens? A church begins in Ephesus, and in the midst of that very worldly culture, a New Testament church begins, and then guess what happens? He becomes a prisoner. Write that down. He was a persecutor who became a preacher who ends up in prison. It's very ironic if you think about it. He was persecuting the church. After he gets converted, he's the one that's now being persecuted, and he's thrown in jail. And I want you to know that this letter was written while he was a prisoner in Rome. You know that by certain verses. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. It says, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner, everybody say the prisoner. I'm a prisoner, not of Rome. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Now he says, I got thrown in jail because I was preaching the gospel to you Gentiles. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20, he says, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare the gospel fearlessly as I should. Now write this down. If you live for Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. I tell all the young people, if you're going to live for Jesus at school, you're going to be persecuted. Jesus said it's a fact that anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, all men, not some men, all men will hate you because of me. Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you. When you go to school, one of two things are going to happen. Number one, you're not you're not going to stand for Christ, and you're just going to be swept up in the culture of this world. Or the second thing that might happen 
is that you actually stand up for Jesus Christ. And if you stand up for Jesus Christ, you will be mistreated at your school. Now, when I was in high school, I decided before I even went inside the building that I was going to stand for Jesus Christ. I didn't care if someone wrote me off. I didn't care if someone didn't like me. I didn't care if someone teased me. I decided that I cared more about what Jesus thought than what any of them thought. And that's a good word for you. Second little thing, write this down. In the midst of your trial or your persecution or even if you're jailed, God can turn your mess into a message. No matter what kind of a mess you find yourself in, God can turn that mess into a message. This book, now you don't know this yet because we haven't studied it yet. We haven't even got past the first word. We're still on Paul. This is one of the most incredible letters that have ever been written. And it was written while he was in jail. You would think, well, oh, he got thrown in jail. That's the end of his story. No, it was just the beginning in many ways. Because people have been studying this for the last 2,000 years. And so I say to you, no matter what kind of situation you find yourself, even if you fall, and young people, you could fall. You, you make mistakes. But when you make a mistake, don't think, well, that's it for me. I've ruined my life. I guess that's it. No. If you've made a mess or you find yourself in trouble, you took your eyes off of God, get your eyes back on God. He will forgive you. He'll give you another chance. And he'll take your situation, whatever it was, he'll turn it into good. And you will now have a testimony that you can share that will be a blessing to everyone. Now, number two, the audience. Who's he writing this to? Who's this, who's this book really written to? It's not the cowboys. It's not the rams. It's the saints. Amen? I'll explain that to some of you later. But anyway, I want you to look at, verse, the, look at the first verse. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the, to the what? To the what? I want you to circle that either in your notes or in your Bible. You have to understand that this book was written to the saints, the saints who lived in Ephesus. Now write this down in your notes. Nine times you see this word. It's in here nine times. This is the first of nine. It's the Greek word hagios, H-A-G-I-O-S, hagios. Everybody say hagios. I don't know why. It reminds me of Haagen-Dazs ice cream. I don't know why. But it's hagios. Nine times Paul refers to Christians as hagios, saints. Does that surprise you? After all, aren't saints dead people? who have achieved spiritual eminence and such stature that they were canonized? Isn't that a saint? That's what we've been led to believe. Usually the Roman Catholic Church, they examine the life of someone who's already deceased, like Mother Teresa. They ask themselves two questions. Number one, 
did this deceased person, when they were alive on this earth, did they live with such character that was above reproach? Their second question is, were there two miracles that were done through this person? It has to be two miracles at least. And if you have lived above reproach and you have performed at least two miracles, then you are at least eligible for the church to at least examine whether or not you qualify for sainthood. I got some sad news for some of you. I doubt there's going to be any religious body ever that will ever qualify you for sainthood. I just want you to know that. (laughs) However, the Bible, did I say the Bible? Did I say the Bible? The Bible, I said the Bible, right? The what? Oh, the Bible says, I hope you're not surprised by this. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, you are a saint. You say, no way, yes way. I mean, look at that person sitting right next to you. They're a saint if they're a Christian. Now, if they're not a Christian, they ain't no saint. I think Saint Dudley has a good ring to it. I want you to write this down quickly. The word saint, the Greek word, means to be set apart. That's what a saint is. It's someone who's been set apart. It's the same word that we get for the word sanctified. Sanctified means to be set apart. It's the same word, the root word for holiness. When a person surrenders to Jesus Christ, when a person says, yes, Lord, when a person is baptized into his name, when a person calls out upon the name of the Lord, whenever a person surrenders to Jesus Christ, God, through the Holy Spirit, he, God, sets you apart. You become hagios, not based on what you've done, but based on what he's done. You actually become a part of his family. Now think about that. No matter how bad your family is, no matter how bad your mom and dad is, no matter how much of a dysfunctional family you came from, the moment you give your life to Jesus Christ, he invites you to become a part of his family. Now, I don't want to confuse you, but write this down. The word hagios is translated into English as either saint or God's people. And I gave you the nine references in your notes, so you can go read them. You can read all nine verses. And as you read them in English, the Bible was not written in English, it was written in Greek. But when you read it in English, it's either going to say saint or God's people. Saint or God's people. It doesn't matter which one it is. It's still hagios. To be a saint means you're a part of God's family. And to be part of God's family means you're a saint. Hagios. The question is, how does a person become a saint? How do you become a saint? Look at verse 1 again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ 
Jesus. Circle in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one that sanctifies you. Jesus is the one that saves you. Jesus is the one who sets you apart. Jesus is the one that makes you hagios. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. Now, as I close point three, the aim of this book is twofold. I got to show you verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Here's this phrase, in Christ. Now, in your notes, it's divided into two halves. The first half, chapters 1, 2, and 3, we will look at the riches that we have in Christ. We are rich. We are rich. You are rich in Christ. The second half, chapters 4, 5, and 6, we will look at our responsibilities that we have in Christ. The first half is what Christ has done for us. The second half is what we do for Christ. The first half is who we are. The second half is what we do. But all of it is because of the fact that we're in Christ. Now write this down, last thing. The phrase in Christ is found in this book 27 times. The question is, are you in Christ? That's your question. I looked up the Forbes 500, the wealthiest men in the world. Number one on the list was Bill Gates. 87 billion. How many of you think that's a lot of money? Number two on the list was Warren Buffett. He only has 60 billion. Oh, I feel so sorry for him. Number three on the list, I don't know how to say his name. I hear different. Jeff Bezos, he's the guy who runs Amazon.com. He owns it. He's worth 50 billion. But all three of those guys put together all of their money, the 87 billion, the 60 billion, and the 50 billion, put it all together, all together. It's nothing but pennies compared to what you have because of Jesus Christ. Pennies. And starting next week, we're going to look at some of these riches from the spiritual world and the realm of God that he's given to us. You'll be amazed if you come back next week and see the blessings that are yours. In these uncertain times, we know as Christians there's a great comfort available to us in the form of prayer. If you feel the need right now for someone to pray with, we have phone counselors standing by ready to take your call. Our number is easy to dial. It's 888-818-4777. If you are unable to get through on your first try, please be sure to try again. Our phone number again is 888-818-4777. We also want you to know, at the recommendation of health and city officials concerning COVID-19, Shepherd Church will be continuing to hold its weekend services only on the internet and not at any of its campuses for the time being. Shepherd Church is encouraging its congregation and the public to watch the weekend services online. Viewers can connect during our Saturday night service at 6 p.m. or on Sunday morning at 9 or 11 a.m. on either of our websites, shepherdchurch.com and liftupjesus.com.
We also want you to know that Pastor Dudley Rutherford has a monthly devotional that he'd like to share with you. You can easily sign up to receive this devotional by simply going to our website, liftupjesus.com, and clicking on a link at the top of the page that says Monthly Devotional. There is a place on the Monthly Devotional page where you can enter your name and email address and begin receiving Pastor Dudley's monthly devotions on a regular basis. It's that simple. This is just one of the many resources we offer on our website, liftupjesus.com. That website again is liftupjesus.com. I'm Kyle Welch, hoping you'll join us again tomorrow night at this same time here on KKLA as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley. Pastor Dudley.